generally the paperwork is, is fairly minimal because there's there's these things called exemptions, which you're exempt from having to. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back. I'm Sarah Larby to another episode of Where Should I Invest? I hope you guys are enjoying this beautiful weather. I don't know if it's going to rain by the time this gets released or not, but I will tell you summer is by far my favorite time of year. If this could be all year and maybe like 15 degrees as the worst case scenario be our winters, I'd be super happy. I'm actually trying to figure out and it'll be COVID dependent if I'm going to be traveling and spending a couple months in a nice warm destination now that I don't have a nine to five to report to. So I'm excited about that. I'm just hoping that, you know, who knows what the second wave, if there's going to be a second wave, likely there will be. But, you know, if we have to go there and we have to quarantine for two weeks and then quarantine for two weeks when we come back, I don't know if it's going to be worth it. So I guess those plans are kind of in the air until we figure out what's happening. But I'll, I'll tell you, you know, hopefully you guys are, are still Still taking some time enjoying the weather and there's obviously this, is, this has been super tough and uh, it's it's one of those things it tests your mental strength and uh, there were times in the beginning and I know I bring this back to weather but when it was like the beginning of March it was a shock and I'll tell you with the weather and being able to have more physical activity making that decision to leave my my nine to five and also just like having more conversations with people and over time you know slowly seeing people when it's safe to do so it's definitely helped but hopefully you guys are hanging in there these are tough times for sure but you know at the end of the day let's let's make the most of it and let's just hope that for for Canada's sake the numbers are in line and start dropping. But again, we never know. We just got to do what we can and, and help who we can and, and hope for the best. So with that said, guys, I uh, wanted to introduce you to today's guest, Marcin Drozd. It's D-R-O-Z. DZ. He is a serial entrepreneur, got started in real estate investing back in 2006, 2007. He started buying duplexes in London and Thorold and Welland. And since then, he's moved on and he has actually raised over a hundred million of capital. He's just absolutely incredible. Um, we talk a lot about like private equity and raising capitals, different roles and, and how to do it. So hopefully you guys enjoy this week's podcast. And again, if you haven't yet you guys probably know i am a co-founder of the right club and we have gone online and there's forums you can ask questions you can connect with other investors but there's gonna be so much more and every week we're adding new things so check it out it's free to register at this point so you guys might as well take advantage of it and also reach out to me on there too send me a message and let's connect at the right club.com that is r-e-i-t-e club.com so on that note, hopefully you guys enjoy this week's podcast. Marcin, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Excellent. I'm, uh, I'm super excited. Right before the show, we were actually talking about how uh, you had an investment property literally a block away from where I live. That is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But unlike yourself, I sold. So I probably uh, am <laughs> not sure I want to figure out what it's worth today. But yeah. <laughs> Nice, nice. But before we get started into the podcast, can you share a little bit with the audience and the listeners 
who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. Uh, so my name is Marcin Drozd. Uh, I've been a serial entrepreneur most of my life. Uh, most recently, I uh, run a company called uh, Intolife uh, Income Trust, and we buy, we're a security and automation company, essentially. And we have customers across Canada and uh, provide home security, smart home integration services today. When I started way back when, one of my first companies was buying rental properties. One of them was the one in Oakville. And uh, we used to go um, just about everywhere, uh, London, Thorold, Welland, all over the GTA, looking for, uh, these don't exist anymore, but you used to be able to buy duplexes for $150,000, $200,000. So uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been great. Got recruited with a private equity firm along the way, and it's been a tremendous ride ever since. So That's really interesting. So how long ago was it that you were acquiring these properties? Uh, ooh, uh, 2000, I think, uh, 2006, 2007, if I remember correctly, that's when we started buying. Uh, I'm 35 now, so I was about 20, 21, 22 at the time. And, uh, you know, interest rates are a little higher than they are now. Um, not much higher, but they were higher. And uh, we were running around and uh, just trying to, trying to buy cash flow, trying to buy, uh, you know, single family duplexes, that kind of stuff. So. You started really young and you said we, who's we? Oh, my, uh, my best friend and I at the time, uh, my best friend and I at the time, he was uh, very good with his hands and I was very good with the banks. So it worked out really well. Uh, then eventually a few of, uh, a few of my friends, uh, uh, people that we knew uh, wanted to buy properties with us. So we just started uh, doing stuff together. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's, uh, let's go into the private equity realm. You know, what is private equity? You know what? Private equity as a term is, is, is just a fancy way of saying private capital. So in other words, uh, you know, when a few people get together and they want to co-invest together, technically that's private equity because you're privately funding either an operating business or, you know, an apartment building or maybe a duplex or, or something along those lines. But if you take private equity as a term back, it is to more of an institutional level. It is uh, not publicly traded pools of capital. So typically at a very high level, it could be institutional investors, which could be, you know, governments, they could be pension plans, uh, they could be insurance companies, uh, they could be wealthy individual families that have made their money typically in uh, actually a lot of times real estate or operating companies and they look to you know allocate into things that are uh, not on the stock market so they might buy apartment buildings together they might invest in other businesses that they're familiar with and uh, private equity is a very big term essentially so one of the things i really liked about your bio really really impressive you raised a hundred million dollars how did you do that <laughs> A lot of no's. <laughs> a lot of no's. You know, I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate to work with some incredible people over the years. And essentially, you have to understand what what your customer wants. And in you know, when you're raising capital, first of all, there's a lot of rules around raising capital, especially if you're doing it professionally. So if anybody is considering raising capital, obviously check with the lawyer, make sure you have your documents in order because th there are rules around raising capital, obviously to protect uh, investors. But I think, uh, I, th I think a good place to start when you, when you're, when you're raising capital is to make sure that you have an understanding of 
the the types of things that you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, in real estate, I know a lot of people are very eager to make all kinds of promises just to be able to raise capital. But see, getting money is one thing, keeping your commitments is another. And, you know, the, the one thing that you see time and time again is being able to, you know, show people uh, a clear path to where you're going with, with what you want to do. In terms of the deals, uh, the businesses that I worked with, you know, uh, in my book, uh, one, of the, one of my quotes is, you know, when you think big, you attract some of the deepest, some of the, pardon me, some of the uh, biggest minds and some of the deepest pockets. So, you know, if, you're, if you think small and all you want to do is, you know, buy um, a rental property, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. It's, it's great for a lot of people, but it's very difficult to attract large pools of capital if all you need is $50,000 at a time. So stepping back and really seeing something at scale is, is, is a lot more work, but that's where you're able to raise millions or tens of millions of dollars at a time. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. 
All right. So now I know you're not a lawyer or you're not, you know, you're, you're, you're Marson, but what are some of these rules for Canadians that like, if they say, cause Ooh, there are and, ma- and I don't know how there much, are many, there are many. And, and can you just share like a couple of them, a couple of the things that, okay, let's just say somebody wanted to buy a piece of land and build on it. And they're like, I'm going to raise some capital. What are some of the things to consider? Well, aside from the business that you're actually in and assuming that you're, you know, you've got form and function and you know what you're doing with, with your business and you're confident that uh, you've got a good uh, opportunity, being able to raise capital is, so in Canada, it's province by province on top of everything else. So anything you do in one province, you may or may not be able to do in another, uh, which is important. uh, at any point in time, I might be working with two to four lawyers. So it's it's funny because my parents wanted me to be a lawyer and I said no. And uh, now all I do is talk to lawyers. So. <laughs> but so as an example, from my experience, if all you're doing is getting together with some friends and some family to buy, let's just say a strip mall or a few houses, generally the paperwork is, is fairly minimal because there's there's these things called exemptions, which you're exempt from having to... Uh, file a very lengthy document called a prospectus, which is what you would use to raise money on the stock market. So if you're just buying a few houses with some friends and family, there's literally a friends and family exemption that you can utilize. Uh, If you start getting into larger pools of capital where you're reaching beyond people that you know personally, and you're now going to the public for capital, then things start getting more complicated because you you need to file with certain regulators in different provinces. You need to have certain uh, disclosure documents. In some cases, you may need to provide financials. One step above, you may need to provide audited financials, which is extremely expensive and uh, you know time-consuming as well. So it, it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Now, if you've never raised capital before and you've done maybe one or two projects on your own, I would probably stay away from that for a period of time until you become much more competent and comfortable with it. Because as an example, you might spend a couple thousand dollars with a lawyer just trying to figure out which language he's speaking to you. And, you know, that's the unfortunate part. So I think building up to it is probably a good start. Yeah, absolutely. And then just working with the right team and and people on your team that have done it before. So you know, yeah, having a lawyer that is has the patience to work with you, I think is really important, especially if you've never done it before. So the biggest one of the biggest issues I see with entrepreneurs is they go to they go to the big fancy law firm and they want to get educated on the process. A lot of these large law firms are used to dealing with clients that have retainers on standby and whenever that client needs something that's where those lawyers run so if you come in there you know with your deal and you want to buy a little for them a little deal you know they they're typically going to say listen i need 10 20 grand before we even get started and you might say well i actually don't know what i want to do yet and and that's not they're, they're not the right people so to your point, Sarah, if, if you're just starting out, getting a lawyer that practices privately, maybe a corporate lawyer or a real estate lawyer that also does, you know, fundraising activity that can help you with fundraising activities, that's probably a good way to segue into larger transactions. 
Yeah, absolutely. Some some great advice there. And I'm I'm guessing a good accountant <laughs> that knows how to well, set up. Well, right? yeah. Yeah. I mean, having, so, I, I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, if you're going to, first of all, I'm assuming if, if someone's going to raise capital, they've already done it themselves. So uh, things like a good accountant, things like a good lawyer, having, you know, your, the rest of your team, I mean, I've listened to some of your podcasts, you know, things like having good appraisers, mortgage brokers, different components that tie into buying a good property. I'm assuming that you have all of those things already. And then on top of that, layering on things like the lawyer and the accountant and having strong reporting is very important. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you working on these days? Talk to us about your latest project. Sure. So I guess just to take a step back, like so many people, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad once upon a time and really liked the idea of cash flow. And uh, it's funny, I never worked so hard to try to be so lazy in my life because, <laughs> you know, like everyone else, you read the, uh, the, the, the concept of passive income and cash flow and whether it was buying rental properties or modern day today uh, working on a security company. All I've ever done is pursued business models where you can create cash flow. So one of the books I wrote was uh, Recurring Monthly Revenue. And literally, it is about being able to identify businesses that are recurring revenue based. So real estate is a great starting point for everyone, myself included, because you can buy a house, you can buy a duplex, you can Airbnb it, you can rent it out, you can flip it, you can do the Burr strategy. There's so many things you can do with it. The reason why, and I'm still very active in real estate, but the reason why I, I went into running a, building a security company is because uh, if you think about it, those little security panels you have on your wall, you typically have a 30, 40, 50, $60 a month payment coming out of your credit card every month for that system. So with our company, we have, and today you probably see it on the TV, the smart homes and the integration and all the different things you can do in your home. When you can do a lot of that today, we have a network of dealers across the country where they generate those customers for us. And you know, our goal is to have tens of thousands of these customers Canada-wide where we can provide them smart home services. All right, so now, now you've got different businesses. That's, uh, that's an interesting concept for sure. Now you're calling in also from Edmonton. So you're, we were talking a little bit before, you're doing a lot of traveling. Companies across Canada or are you guys global? Well, uh, Canada is big enough for us right now. <laughs> There's uh, our our back office is in Edmonton here, but we have. So you know how you go to a mall and you see like a Rogers and then it says authorized dealer underneath. So those are individual dealers that have the ability to go out and uh, solicit new customers for Rogers. They can they can they can bring on new customers and the customer thinks they're dealing with Rogers and they are, but they were sold through an authorized dealer. So we have a network of dealers across the country. Uh, they happily work with us all the way from Halifax to BC. And essentially they go out and they generate customers. Uh, they get paid very well to do it. And then those customers become uh, serviced by us at a corporate level across the country. Yeah. And from, from the real estate perspective, the reason why this was such a nice tuck in for me, and I, I think where it fits in for a lot of people that are, that listen to your uh, podcast is if you think about your your rental properties, whether you have just a single family home, a string of condos that you Airbnb, or maybe you've got some some apartments or apartment buildings, uh, smart home integration today is something that is really 
really productive for the landlord. So things like we even have sensors that go in homes where you can tell if the frequency is too loud. So you can tell if people are having parties at your Airbnbs. That's you interesting, know. actually. Yeah, because you never, yeah. like, legally, you can't put a camera inside, right? So we have outdoor cameras that are Airbnbs, but... Oh, of course. You know, the frequency thing is actually kind of interesting. Of course, because if there's a certain pitch after 11 p.m. or whatever the rules of the house are, then you can set a notification, right? It's non-invasive. Another thing that we do that's, that's become very popular is people are getting older and unlike what the experts predicted, mom and dad do not want to move to a care home. <laughs> they want to stay home. They want to be where they've been for the last 20 or 30 years. That and the and care homes have long wait lists as well. So <laughs> that's actually a really good point. Yeah, especially in Ontario and actually most of Canada, care homes are, assuming you can get into one, That's you're, you're, you're exactly right. So in addition to the smart home packages, we've started doing smart wellness packages. So for example, if you have parents that you care for and you, you, know, you wanna make sure you have peace of mind, you can have non-invasive sensors to help you uh, track things like falls in the home. You can tell if, if your parents have, uh, for example, Alzheimer's or they have a hard time remembering, maybe they find their way out of the home and they don't remember where they are. There's, there's tracking technology. Again, it's non-invasive. Uh, you can have primary care workers connected to those, uh, to those sensors. Even things like, for example, if your parents forget to take their medicine, you can have sensors on the medicine cabinet or on the pill jar. So if your mom forgets to take her heart medication at 10 in the morning, you'll get a notification. And then you can give her a call. Hey, mom, how you doing? Great. Did you take your meds? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, she didn't because the sensor wasn't opened. But then you can, you know, get off the phone, say, okay, great, mom. And then 10 minutes later, you'll get a notification where she actually then was prompted to, you know, take her meds, right? So there's, um, and the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because whether it's for your own home, for your own application, or what we're seeing, actually, we're doing some requests for some proposals for some larger, uh, they're, I think we call them REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, the uh, they own thousands of apartments across uh, well, various parts of Canada where they're actually trying to integrate the smart component into their rental properties for the millennial renters because they now expect those types of services as part of the rental. Like It's not even a maybe, it's a, hey, is this unit smart enabled because they want it to connect with their cell phone. That's part one. And the other part is they're looking at it for their elderly population from a ability to provide those wellness packages as well. So they're not trying to become extended care facilities, but they're aware of the fact that there are people out there, a lot of people out there that want to have the ability to care for their parents that are maybe renting an apartment from ABC, you know, company. So yeah, to speak. It's definitely an interesting concept. So just curious, did you raise money for the company as well? Uh, for this company, yes, we, we'd raised just over $10 million in equity for this company. And we have some, in our industry, we call them term sheets, where we're pulling together large pools of capital from institutional investors. We've received some eight-figure term sheets from some institutional investors as well. So I can't speak on that one yet, but we'll, we'll put out some press releases at some point about those. But I, I can tell you getting those term sheets is, is a little bit of work as well. So. 
And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. So for those that are wondering, what is a term sheet? Oh, uh, it's, it's a promise to give you money if you do certain things. So, so certain, uh, it's like it's, certain steps that you've got to achieve and then you get the money essentially. Something like that. You know what it is? It's like it, actually the best analogy for it. It's like an offer to purchase. So for example, if you put in an offer to buy an apartment building, you know, your, your uh, term sheet, so to speak, is your, if you're working with a realtor, there's a certain form you fill out in when, when you're raising capital from institutional investors they will give you a term sheet. It's typically anywhere from one to 10 pages and it outlines the terms under which they would invest in the business. Okay. So now these are their terms so that you've got to say, you got look at it and say, this is achievable or not achievable. And then you either. Well, it's, it, or, or it's a negotiation. It's, okay. it's a starting point. It's, it's a starting point. It, uh, what it does is it, uh, it gives you an idea similar to, you know, Sarah, if you're buying a, a house or whatever, whatever piece of real estate you're buying, if you put in a, a, an offer or offer a term sheet, so to speak to the sell, to the seller, if you guys are way off, they may not even counter, or they might come back and say, Hey, no problem, but here, and then it starts a dialogue. The purpose of a term sheet is to, to, you know, figure out if you're even in the same ballpark. Right. Okay. So that's interesting. Like putting conditions on a property, condition of financing, inspection. Lease. Correct. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. So, so, so you, you might get a term sheet for, you know, a million or 10 million or a hundred million dollars, whatever it is. And it'll be, you know, if it's debt, there's an interest rate associated to it. There's, you know, if it's equity, here's a proposed valuation. Here are the terms under which the, comp- the capital is advanced. And similar to when you're buying a property, you do inspections, you have, you know, uh, requirements for different things. 
If, for example, if you're borrowing money, if, it, if it's debt, then there's ongoing requirements for reporting. You have to have the ability to maintain certain, the banks call them covenants. So for example, well, no different than if you're buying an apartment building, you know, it's no longer about you as the individual and your ability to keep your job and, and, and have good credit. If you're buying an apartment building, the, the bank wants to see the rent roll on the building. They want to see a certain occupancy. So, you know, same thing. All right. That's interesting. Now, are they finding you or are you finding them or is it now a mix of both? How does that work? You know, it's, it's a combination of both. And I think, I think the best, the best, some of the best advice I can give people that are looking to scale their business and raise capital, you have to think about it in terms of being very clear on what you want. And to answer your question directly now, now we have money, we have people coming to us and giving us term sheets and yes, we still go out and we, we, you know, we, we run our business, but I think what we've done really well is we've told a very consistent story in our business. So for example, um, most people that raise money, they fall in love with their business from their perspective. And similar to when you're selling a home, you know, you love the, uh, the ambiance in the home, you love the yard, you love the color of the dry, uh, you know, the drywall, uh, pardon me, the paint, and you know, you love the kitchen and you love the neighborhood and things like this. When you're raising capital for a business, you have to look at it objectively from the same perspective you would if you were buying a larger property, like an apartment building. You know, you have to look at the, the facts and the figures that support the actual business itself. And then you have to tell a story that is rooted in reality, but still gives the potential investor the ability to see your vision and see where you want to take it. Now, one thing you have to remember is if you're raising debt, for example, like you would for a mortgage from a bank, uh, they don't want to hear your story about the appreciation or how you're going to drive value in the, in the business or the, uh, the real estate. They're, they're dealing with reality today. So again, you have to know your audience. If, if you're looking for debt, especially from a bank or a near bank type of a group, it's all about having uh, reality today. If you're looking for equity or, you know, in your world, it would be equity for down payment. In my world, it would be equity for things that are not financeable. Um, those people are more interested in the blue sky because they're putting in equity dollars for growth. They're not just looking for a coupon today. That's uh, probably one of the best examples and ways of the, how you explained it to make it so clear, right? There's different people looking for different things. People looking for that mortgage pay down, AKA current situation, not losing money, um, protecting their assets, protecting their money. And then the others that are looking for that upside. 100%. I mean, one of the term sheets that, uh, that we got was from a bank and it was a sizable amount that uh, it's called a warehouse facility where they renew every year for a certain amount of money. And I can tell you that the bank isn't really, uh, they, they probably like the idea of what I think is going to happen with the smart home economy and where the world's going with automation and all the cool cameras that go in the home and all the different features and how, you know, people are willing to pay more for security today than ever before. The banks will listen to all of those things and they'll say, okay, great. Show me the contracts, show me the value, show me the money today. <laughs> Cause that's, 
that's all they're worried about, right? Whereas on the equity side, whether it's a private equity firm or wealthy individuals, they want to hear that story because they're looking for equity style returns. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that. Some great insight. So the next part of the podcast, Marcin, is our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. Everybody gets the same questions and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Favorite real estate investing book ever would have to be, well, the first one I ever read, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yep. Great book. Number two, what is your favorite podcast? My favorite podcast? I've been listening to Joe Rogan a lot lately, so I'd have to say that. I've listened to a few as well. He does have a great podcast. Number three, what is your favorite pastime? So what do you do for fun when you're not raising capital or doing anything real estate or business related? I am cycling with my dad. All right. Awesome. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I think I would, uh, I would keep investing in real estate, but I think if you start at zero, uh, you know, the one thing that nobody can take away from you is your knowledge. So if you have to start at zero or negative a million or negative, pick a number, ultimately your experience and your knowledge would be, uh, you know, something that you, you can't take from anybody. So I think I would, uh, you know, whether it was real estate, uh, whether it was selling five, you have to be able to generate fees. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get into sales. You gotta, you gotta sell, you gotta generate cash quickly. So maybe sell real estate, sell, sell financing for real estate and then just start buying uh, single family homes again. Yeah, absolutely. Your knowledge and your experience and your network as well. Right. I mean, those things don't go away just cause you lose it all. No, hundred percent. And as long as you have, as long as you have integrity with what you do along the way, and as long as you, you know, you always, as long as you leave something on the table for the next guy, next girl, and you let everybody get a piece of whatever's happening along the way, you know, you're, uh, what was, what was the quote I, I heard? Don't build a bigger fence, build a longer table. Yeah, that's true. It's good. Good analogy. Awesome. Question number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? I would spend my time before I spend my money. I'd spend my time on finding people that are operating at a level that I want to be at probably 12 to 24 months from now. And, you know, most people say, oh, yeah, go find mentors that are operating at a, you know extraordinary level. And that's true, too. But the challenges with those people is you have so little you can offer those people out of the gate. So, and what I mean by that is people that are operating at a 10, 10 times level or 20 times level than what you are, you're, you're, you're not ready for them yet. Like they're, for example, if you're new to real estate and you go work for free for somebody who's doing, you know, hundred million dollar deals, they're going to be talking to you in gibberish and you're just going to sit there with a pad and you wouldn't understand it. But if, if $50,000 is all the money I have, I would probably quit my job, whatever that job is, depending on the flexibility is, and take that money, live as cheaply as possible. It depends on how old you are as well. You know, if you have married with two kids, you know, you're not going to do that. But with $50,000, assuming that, you know, you can live relatively inexpensively, I would take that time and invest all my energy into, well, working in the space that I want to be an expert in. Absolutely. Awesome. 
that was the lightning round. Thank you for playing. So Marcin, if the listeners wanted to find out more about you and reach out, where can they go? Uh, the best place probably is just to check out my website at marcindros.com. I've got a book there called Capitalize. It's a free download. And that book is, uh, the subtitle is The Million Dollar Blueprint on How to Scale Your Business. So the experiences in, in, that come with having raised the kind of money that I've been fortunate enough to raise really forces a certain discipline in how you, you run a business, how you find business partners, and uh, the experiences that come with it. So that book really does tie things in together for people. And you can read it whatever chapter you want. It's not written like a traditional book. And it's, it's just a great experience for people to, if they want to think bigger and they want to start raising money to, to build their business, um, you know, learn from, learn from my experiences. Very cool. Any final last words of advice, Marcin, for the listeners? I, you know, I really appreciate what you do with, with your, uh, with your podcast here. I think it's, it's necessary for people to see the, um, the fact that you can make it like you can make it in this business. And, you know, everybody thinks it's, it's so hard to get started, but once you buy that first property and that first rental check comes in and, you know, you figure out how to cover that mortgage payment and, you know, you learn how to deal with the rental contracts and it gets, it gets easier and, and you grow a little bit and you may never need to raise a million or $10 million. But if all you ever do is buy one, two, three doors, five doors, and, you know, you forget about it and you go back to work 20 years later, like you, you guys have said before, you'll be a millionaire. Absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Marcin, for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you and thanks for all your insights. You're very welcome. Thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that work. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.